If you have your Bibles, if you'll join me in John chapter 5. John chapter 5 is uh, where we're going to be this morning, digging into the Word. And our theme this morning is that we have a problem. We have a problem. Um, So the other day I was taking my kids to school and on the way to school, there was a little bit on the radio and the bit on the radio were people sharing discoveries that they had made that completely blew their minds. But when they shared it with others, like everybody else already knew about it. (laughs) And so they have people calling in and sharing different things. And so as I'm listening, I had heard a couple of the things that had come in, but then somebody called in and they saw, they said, I'll never forget the day that I discovered that on the gas gauge of every car that there's a little gas tank. And beside that little gas tank, there's an arrow. And that arrow points to the side of the car that your gas tank is on. And y'all, I'm just going to be honest. It blew my mind. I was like, hold up, what? There's an arrow on the gas tank and the kids are with me and I'm making a huge deal about this. And I look and there's an arrow. I was like, kids, there's an arrow. And like one of my daughters is like, yeah, dad, everybody knows that. I'm like, how do you know? And then, and then I go home and I I was like, Amber, there's an arrow beside every gas tank on the, on the little gas gauge. She was like, yeah. (laughs) So what? I'm like, you knew this? And it's blowing my mind. So now I'm ever in anybody else's car. I'm like, let me see your gas gauge. And, I, and now I'm driving around. I'm like, which side of the gas tank is your car? Is, is on your car. And I, I'm amazed. I'm just going to tell you. And, 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 and so this was a discovery for me. And I just have to know, did anybody else not know that? Thank you. Okay. You're, I'm not alone. I just had to have that moment of like, you know, encouragement. Okay. So now we all know. But here's the thing. This is a discovery. It's it's just a little thing, a silly thing. It really doesn't mean anything. I might save you some time at the gas pump if you're in a new car. But other than that, it really doesn't mean much. What we're going to learn today is a discovery. It is an eternally transformational truth that it is possible that many people in this room, many people listening online, you are familiar with this. And it is also possible that you may be in this room and you may be listening online. And this is, this is going to be a groundbreaking life-changing truth. And what Jesus is going to teach us through these few verses, it really does change everything. And so as we look at this text, we want to keep in the background that for centuries, the identity of Jesus has been in certain times, certain places, places, certain crowds, very controversial, even divisive, uh, creating content on, on the identity of who Jesus is. And I've made mention of this study before because it's just been a great resource. But every two years, uh, Ligonier Ministry and Lifeway Research combined to do a a, a study of our, and basically check the spiritual temperature of our country. And they do that by polling multitudes of people. And then they kind of bring their, their, their answers together and share it with the world. And so, uh, and so, so the, the study is full of basically statements to which you have, you either agree or you disagree. And so here is a statement 
that was, that was stated and people had an opportunity to agree or disagree. The statement was this, Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. That's the statement. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. And the study revealed that 52% of the people who saw that statement agreed with that statement, meaning uh, just over half of the people said, yes, that is correct. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. And honestly, I thought the percentage might be a little, a little lower. And I say that just because I, I, we, we get a feel for the, the culture that we live in, that, 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 that Christ uh, is not honored in every household as Lord. And, and we can see it and we can feel it. And so in the world we're in, maybe that it didn't, didn't shock me. It, it burdens me, but it doesn't shock me. And that, that might be true. But here is something that, that, that troubled me is that 30% of, of evangelicals agreed to the same statement, that that statement is true, that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. 30% of evangelicals. So let me just share briefly, according to the study, here is what a evangelical is. And maybe you can relate. An evangelical is someone who says the Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. An evangelical is someone who says it is very important for me personally to encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their savior. An evangelical is someone who says Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that could remove the penalty of my sin. An evangelical is someone who says that only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. That is by definition in this study who an evangelical is. I'm an evangelical. And according to this study, three out of every 10 people who are evangelicals that were polled said, I agree with that. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. And that's troubling. Matter of fact, same study, 65% of evangelicals agreed with the statement, Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. And so having that said, and just kind of sharing that together, there is a, there is a problem. We have a problem. And that problem isn't just the, in the world, but even the problem with those who would say the Bible is the source, it's the authority of my life, that you can only be saved through Jesus. So we are going to answer this problem and Jesus is going to answer the problem for us in these few verses. The Bible says, or excuse me, the, the, uh, the, the problem with this is the fact that you can't be a good teacher and say what Jesus said. So C.S. Lewis says this, either Jesus is the son of God or a madman or worse, but his being just a great teacher, he has not left that open to us. That it has been said that Jesus is either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he is the Lord. It's been said that either Jesus is delusional, he is a deceiver, or he is in fact God. And so Jesus, who better to answer this this question or this problem than Jesus himself. And that's what we're going to be able to listen into. And the main idea of this text is that Jesus is God and all who believe in him have life. Now I want to give a little context before we jump right into verse 17, because we're kind of, we're almost parachuting in on an event that is already happening. 
There were some major events that just happened prior to verse 17, and that is that Jesus healed a man who had been paralyzed for almost 38 years. So for almost four decades, this man had laid paralyzed at a place called the Pool of Bethesda. And Christ healed this man. It was an instant healing. It was a complete healing and changed this individual's life forever and ever and ever. But Jesus has purpose in everything he does. His purpose in everything he does. And Jesus could have healed this man on a Monday. And he could have healed this man on a Tuesday. He could have healed him on a Wednesday, a Thursday. But Jesus chose to heal this man on the Sabbath day. Sabbath for Jews, it, they, they observe the Sabbath from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. And Jesus, intentional and purposeful in everything he does, he is going to bring healing to this man who had been paralyzed for 38 years on the Sabbath. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus saw him and in his mercy and in his grace and in his compassion brought complete healing. And he invited this brother to stand up and to walk. And can you imagine what that day must have been like when this man stood to his feet and he took up his mat. And as he took up his mat, there were Jewish leaders in the space there right around. And instead of rejoicing with this brother who is now walking, they rebuke him. And they rebuke him because it is against the law that, that you are carrying Matt, you can't carry on the Sabbath. And I say it was against the law. It was against the man-made law. God gifted Sabbath to people. Like it's a gift to people. It's a gift of rest. It's a gift to cease work and rest in God, which by the way, is a rhythm that is very healthy for us all to build into our lives. But Jesus wasn't violating the Old Testament Sabbath but he was violating the man-made religious rules of the Jewish leaders because for them, it wasn't enough what God said. So they needed to make a list of things you can't do. And they created 39 categories of things you can't do on the Sabbath. And one of those is carry. And when this brother stood up and began to carry his mat after being healed for almost 40 years, they rebuked him. Jesus is purposeful and intentional with everything he does. It is the Sabbath day and he is about to help these Jewish leaders understand who he is with great precision and with crystal clarity. And so let's listen in in verse 17 as Jesus begins. Jesus answered them. My father is working until now and I am working this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus says, my father's working. Jews would pray our father. Jesus prays my father. My father, the Sabbath day of rest again was not for God's benefit. It was for mankind's benefit. God, after he created all things, wasn't like, 
man, I'm exhausted. I need to take a nap. Like God is almighty, all powerful. He was gifting mankind with a a picture of a rhythm, but God doesn't sleep or slumber. God never ceases from working. He's always working. The Bible says this over in Hebrews 1, 3, it says that God upholds the universe with the word of his power. That in Isaiah 40, 28, the Bible says, have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. In Psalm 121, verse one, the Bible says, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither sleep or will neither slumber nor sleep. And what a great encouragement that is for us. Because my hunch is some of you in the room tossed and turned all night because there is something very heavy on your heart and it's wearying you. And the encouragement is this is while you were tossing and turning, God was at work. And for some of us, you were able to maybe get a good night's sleep last night and you're like, finally (laughs) some rest. It's been a wild week while you were sleeping. God was working. That while yesterday I was attempting to teach my youngest daughter how to ride a bike. (laughs) It was a sanctifying experience. God was working. While you're waiting on test results to get back and you don't know what they're going to say, God is working. While you're going to the store and you're getting the groceries for the week or to cook something or have something on the table, God is working. While you're looking at your gas tank, trying to figure out which side it's on, like God is working. God, God is always working. He neither slumbers, he neither sleeps. And the Jewish leaders, the Jewish people understood that God is always at work. And what is Jesus saying? Jesus says, my father's working. And guess what? I am too. I'm working. I'm working. So Jesus is saying, God, the father does not rest on Sabbath and neither do I. And they lost their minds. They lost their minds. They were not just upset because they thought that this miracle that he performed was an act of work on Sabbath, but they are losing their minds because he was calling God, his own father, making himself equal to God. And so if you get into the original language and you see over there where it says that they were seeking all the more to kill him, if you dig into that language, it speaks of continual present tense. In other words, they are continually and continuing to continue and continuing to continue to try to kill him. All the while the verb tense there in verse 20, where, or excuse me, verse 18, where it says that Jesus was making himself equal to God speaks of continuous action, which means Jesus is continuously making himself equal to God, continually making himself equal to God. And so as Jesus is continually making himself equal with God, the Jewish leaders are continually seeking to kill him. And they will not rest ultimately until Good Friday happens and Christ is crucified. 
And so what Jesus is doing is he is going to confront them with his identity. And the same is true for us. Every man, boy, girl of all age, Jesus is revealing who he is and that all of us have a response to who he is. Practically every major religious movement considers Jesus to be an important religious figure. In Islam, they recognize Jesus as being born of a virgin, one to be revered and a prophet of God. In Judaism, the ancient Jewish believers acknowledge that Jesus was Mary's son, that he was respected, that he was a miracle worker, and that he was crucified on a cross. Hindus believe that Jesus was a holy man and a wise teacher. Buddhists believe that he was an enlightened man and a wise teacher. Mormons believe that he is the son of God, born of a virgin in Bethlehem. And in essence, they believe that Jesus Christ is the head of the church and the central figure of their theology. Jehovah's Witness, they believe that Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus came from heaven to give his perfect life as a ransom sacrifice. They believe for you to have eternal life, you have to believe in the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. But what the problem is, is that they have an incomplete picture of who Jesus is. And Jesus communicates to all people that he is God, that he is not a good teacher and he is not a son of God. He is God in the flesh. And so Jesus is going to walk them through. He's going to walk them through how he is equal with the father. So look at, look at verse 19. We will see Jesus makes himself equal with the father in mission. The Bible says in verse 19, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. I love this. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Remember the setting, remember the context. They're seeking all the more to kill him while he continually makes himself known that he is equal to God. The father works on the Sabbath. Jesus says, I work on the Sabbath in the strongest possible way. He's connecting his activity, this healing at the, of the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda. He is connecting his activity directly to the father. He's painting a picture that within the Godhead, God is one and he has revealed himself in three persons, God, the father, God, the son, God, the spirit. He is showing the perfect unity and harmony within the Godhead. And when Jesus says, whatever the father does, the son does likewise. He is just emphatically communicating that he is, he is God. Over in verse 20, it says that the father loves the son. Again, you dig into that, that, that verb tense. And what you find is he's speaking of an eternally uninterrupted, all knowing love. So Jesus is revealing himself. He's revealing himself to us through his word today. That he is equal with the father. He's equal in mission, but he's also equal in power. Look at verse 20. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. 
and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. Jesus is declaring that he is equal with the father in the raising of dead to life. Again, we got to kind of think of the context and these Jewish leaders are listening in and Jesus is, is, is revealing who he is to them. And in their minds, there is only one who can raise the dead and that is God. Deuteronomy 32, 39 says, see now that I, even I am he, and there is no God beside me that I kill and I make alive. First Samuel 2, 6, the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. Jesus is equal in power. Jesus brings life from death. He brings beauty from ashes. He has the power to give spiritual life to those who are spiritually dead. And just if we were to fast forward, we will get to John chapter 10. We're in John 5 now. But in John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, listen to what Jesus says. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Only God brings life. And so he is communicating again that he is equal with the father, that he is God. He is equal with the father in mission. He's equal in power and he's also equal in authority. In verse 22, the Bible says, for the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. So within the Godhead, this perfect harmony, perfect unity, all judgment has been given to Christ. It further communicates the unity and the perfect harmony within the triune God. That the judgment of Christ is the exact same as the judgment of the Father. So when Jesus came and he humbled himself and clothed himself in flesh and dwelt among us, that the Jewish people at that time, were the the, the the looking for the Messiah was like at an all-time high. It was at a fever pitch. And so, so when Jesus wasn't the Messiah that, that anyone had in mind, it didn't make sense because they're looking for the conquering king. And Jesus is the conquering king. But the Bible also teaches that he must be the suffering servant. And so he came and he suffered and he lived a perfect life. He was crucified on the cross, placed in a borrowed tomb, and he rose from the dead. Christ will come again. And when he comes, he is coming as the conquering king. And there will be judgment. Judgment will come. We will all stand before Christ on judgment day. All people will be judged, believers and unbelievers. There are two judgments that the Bible teaches us about. One is over in 2 Corinthians 5.10. And I'll read this this passage, it says this, it says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Believers will stand before Christ. We will face the judgment seat of Christ. It's known as the, the Bema, but we will not be judged 
for our salvation. As believers, when we repent of our sin and trust Jesus and Jesus alone, our salvation is secure in him. But this is a judgment of our life. This is a judgment of our life that the Bible teaches that there will be rewards that were given on the fact of our living on mission for the glory of God and the mission of God before him. And so this judgment is not God judging our sins, but rather God rewarding us. And praise God, we will have this great privilege to, to offer, offer any reward back to him because he alone is worthy. But there is a final judgment. The Bible teaches this, and I want, I want, us, I want this to humble us. Because there is an ultimate judgment. It's called the great white throne of judgment. And it's, you can read about it in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. And that there is a book that God records those who place their faith and trust in him. And it is called the Lamb's book of life. And at that judgment, he will open the Lamb's book of life. And those whose names are not in them, he will cast into an eternal lake of fire and they will spend eternity in hell. That the judgment is not some like, I don't, I don't even know what that's all. No, like the Bible teaches us what's going to happen. It teaches us that this judgment is coming and, and what God is communicating to them. Jesus is communicating, I am God. The Father's judgment and the Son's judgment, they are in harmony, they are in unity. And so we see that Jesus teaches that he is equal with the father in mission and power in authority and in praise. Verse 23, that all, why? That all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Equal in praise. And the Jewish leaders are soaking this in and they're, they're hearing this. And we're hearing this today. The Bible tells us, I love Philippians 2 verse 9. Paul says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him, Christ, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God of the father. So here is the reality. There is going to be a day where every living soul will willingly or unwillingly bow their knee and proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. That that, that day is coming. And Jesus is saying the praise that is do the father like with me. I and the father are one. And so Jesus is solving this problem. And today he is teaching them his identity. He is exposing their, their ideology. He's exposing their traditions. He's exposing their values. He's exposing this, these kind of man-made laws that they've adapted and created so that they can 
live this righteous life, this self-righteous life, when the reality is, is all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And even on our best day, we still miss the mark. God is holy. We are sinful. And it is only by his grace and through his death, burial, and resurrection that we can be forgiven and rest in his righteousness. He, he is the only, he is the only, only way. So he is exposing this problem and he's exposing the problem with us today. And how we respond to who he is will not only shape the way we live every day of our lives, but it will shape our eternity forever and ever and ever. Jesus is equal to the father in mission and power in authority and praise. And one more observation that we see is that all who believe in Jesus Christ have life. All who believe in Jesus Christ have life. Verse 24, he begins by saying this, truly, truly, I say to you, I was just uh, in uh, my Sunday school group last hour and, and uh, we were in a passage where it speaks to Jesus saying, truly, I say to you. And so it gets our attention. It gets our attention. Jesus is getting our attention. He's saying, truly, truly, your version uh, translation of the Bible may say, verily, verily. In the original language, it's saying, amen, amen. In other words, what Jesus is saying is he is saying, if you will have ears to hear, this will change your life. Truly, truly, listen to this. This is of utmost importance. Truth is coming in what he is about to say. He says, verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed. I love this from death to life. Who? Those who hear his word and believe in him. Pass from judgment to life. So just as Jesus is revealing himself to those Jewish leaders, he is revealing himself to all of us today, all of those listening online, anyone who opens the word of God and allows God to teach us who he is. C.S. Lewis, and I agree, he says, Jesus can't be a good teacher. He has not left that up to us. You must decide if Christ is a liar or a deceiver. You must decide if he is a lunatic or he is delusional, or you must decide that he is who he says he is, that he is God. Over in John 14, Jesus says this, I and the father are one. In John chapter 10, we'll be there in a little bit, but Philip, Philip, he says this to Philip. He says, whoever has seen me has seen the father. Even John's gospel, if you go back to the very first verse, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. You skip down to verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is communicating emphatically that he is God and all who believe in him have life who believe. And that word believe is so packed with meaning. It's not saying I agree with that. It's not saying, uh, it's not an intellectual agreement. 
It is a wholehearted surrender to the truth that Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection, and placing faith in him and him alone, it is believing that with all your heart and surrendering him to, to him as Lord, that you are saved. Belief is when you place your entire weight and trust in him and him alone for your salvation. And praise God that it is not up to us. Praise God that it is not up to our good rule keeping. Praise God it is not just hopefully that my good outweighs my bad when it's all done. Praise God that he has finished the work on the cross. And it is through his death, burial, and resurrection that he invites all who will believe in him to be forgiven and experience his grace and experience his mercy and have life and have life to the full. And that shapes our life today and it shapes our life for all eternity. So Jesus is revealing himself to us. And I pray that as we walk out the, day to, to, out, out the door today, we walk out being encouraged and blessed and challenged that Jesus has revealed himself as the one true God, that he is God and that all who believe in him have life. And so for the believers in the room, those who would say, I have repented of my sin. I've placed my trust in Jesus and Jesus alone. I believe, I have believed in my heart that he is Lord and I've surrendered my life to him. May we be encouraged today. May, may we just be in awe. May we be amazed that for God so loved the world that he gave his son, that he loves us so much that he has gifted us his truth. That by God's grace, may, may we lay our lives, our hearts before him and allow his Holy Spirit to shine his holy light in those areas that aren't honoring to him. And we confess it and we call it what it is and we repent of it. We rest in his grace and we want to surrender those things to him. He's worthy. And let's be careful that this isn't just about behavior modification, okay? Like this isn't about like, you know, I really need to work on that thing. Work. Yes, we do. By God's grace, we do. But this is about the heart. He wants our heart. He deserves our heart. He is worthy of all. He's worthy of everything. Everything I have, everything I am belong to him because he is God. He's God. And so it could be that in light of his authority and in light of his power, and a life that he is God. And we know that there could be a very tangible next step for you. A next step of obedience, whatever that might be. God's big enough and strong enough to reveal what that is. But it, it might be perhaps that you are a believer and you have never followed in obedience to God's call to be baptized. That just a, a, a couple of weeks ago, our, our friend, my brother Joel, he knew God has called him to this. That's an area of his life that he, he had not yet followed in obedience. And he wanted to honor the Lord in that act of obedience in his life. And that can look different for different people. But what is that step that God would give us the courage to step out in faith and obey him and what he calls us to do? And it could be that as you read this, maybe... Maybe you would say, you know what? I don't have a relationship with Jesus. 
God has created you for a relationship with him. He's pursuing a relationship with you and he desires that relationship. And so perhaps today is that, that, that responding to that invitation to begin a relationship with Jesus. And that begins with acknowledging that you are a sinner in need of God's grace, repenting and turning from your sin. Listen, you will not be perfect. We will not be perfect. All right. Everything is not just perfect after this. Okay. We live in a broken world. Broken things continue to happen, but there will come a day when he will make all things new. And that today is the day that you place your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. So I want to pray for us and we're going to have a song of invitation. And just, just so you know, this, this, this is just an opportunity to respond. It could be to humble your heart before the Lord. It may be to get on your knees and pray. It may be to come to the altar and pray. It might be to talk to one of our pastors, whatever that might be. Whatever that looks like, let's not quench what God wants to do in our hearts and let's step out in faith and obedience. He is worthy. He is worthy. Let's pray. God, we praise you for your love. We praise you for your care. God, I praise you for the work that we read about in John chapter five. God, how you perform this incredible miracle and God, as with all of your miracles, they always serve two purposes. One is they always meet a physical need. And I can only imagine what that brother's life must have been like when he stood to his feet. But Father, the, the overarching purpose of every miracle is ultimately to reveal that you are God. And that you are the Almighty and you are powerful. And you're communicating that truth to these Jewish leaders who are just so focused on the, the man-made tradition and law that has been created over time. And yet, God, you have extended this invitation that all who believe in your word and believe in you will pass from judgment into life. You have come that we may have life and have life to the full. So God, as believers in the room, may we find ourselves yielded to your Lordship. You're worthy. Everything we have, everything we are, belong to you. We are so amazed by your love and in awe of your grace. And Father, I pray for the person that has been going about this life in their righteousness, in their strength, and on their own. The Father, today you are extending an invitation to them into relationship, forgiveness, grace, mercy. God, your Holy Spirit setting up residence in the believer's heart and life to be that teacher, to be that comforter, to be that helper, to be the revealer of truth. And I pray today that there's anybody here that needs to begin that relationship, that they would do that right now. I pray that. So God, may you find us open and sensitive and obedient to you, to your, your Lordship. God, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.